Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney. Word leaked this week that law firm Munger Tolls was forcing summer associates to sign mandatory arbitration agreements that would keep any sexual harassment lawsuits out of court. Once word got out, the fallout was swift. The firm dropped the agreements and issued an apology within 48 hours. Is this a Me Too movement watershed for the legal industry? A little later in the show, senior reporter Natalie Rodriguez will tell us all about it. And stick around to the end of the show when we discuss a punk rock drummer turned doctor who rushed to the aid of a juror in cardiac arrest. As always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hey, guys. Guys, good to be here. It is. It's a busy day. Yeah. It's opening day. Opening day. But busy legal news that we're not even going to talk about and podcasting legal news. Uh, the guy from Serial, yeah. uh, oh, he won right. a new trial today. Oh, Adnan yeah. Syed. Is that, yeah. is that right? Yeah. So it's sort of like it was a blast of the past. Like, you remember how big Serial was? Oh, years huge. Ago? I loved it. I, I was, it was like a Simpl- Simpler time, right? Like... Well, there's actually two bits of serial news because serial also couldn't get a trademark oh, for the term serial. I, cover, I covered the heck out of that one. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, it's nice to have the podcast news right up top here. Podcast legal news on a podcast <laughs> about law. We're, We're getting so meta. Fully through the looking glass now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now that we've gone a little too deep on that, guys, let's talk about the actual news we're talking about today. Yeah. Google Oracle. Yeah. Once again, guys, You're... I am tired. I was gonna say. I mean, I'm gonna take a nap while Bill talks about his beat again. But uh, <laughs> sure. no, I'm kidding. This is a, this is a big one. This is a you big know one. It's fair that you made that comment because he made a few trade comments at you a week or two back. That's very That's true. true. I was it's, taking it's been, digs. It's, it's getting it's, heated. In it's here. been a busy week for a busy couple of weeks for for both of us. But let's uh, let's yeah. Let, so let, let's a, roll this one. Out. A federal appeals court revived Oracle's uh, really big copyright lawsuit against Google over the Android smartphone operating system. Yeah. Um, the court reversed uh, a trial, a jury verdict that, that that Google had been protected by the fair use doctrine. So it's it's like a really big case for Google and Oracle yeah. like by itself. There's, but it was also just in terms of the potential damages here was huge. $8.8 billion. Get out of here, Bill. Yeah, I know. It's wild. Uh. <laughs> and they've been fighting for a decade. So now this is going to start like another like four years. Yeah, of... the, the, the clock starts running again. <laughs> but it, it's beyond Basically, that. Bill's got his life mapped out <laughs> yeah, now for the good. next several years. Yeah, here that's good. Kids, Google Oracle. Let's you know. wi- yeah, let's, let's, let's wind back the clock here. That's very funny. The yeah. idea of you having <laughs> sending your kids into preschool. It's like I gotta cover the Google Oracle arguments. Still. Gotta run. Okay, so let's 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 do a reset of like the the broad litigation strokes. Yeah. So here. I don't think we've talked about this case on the show, so. which is weird because it's a really big one. But yeah. um, so way back in the day, Sun Microsystems, which is now owned by Oracle, yeah, um, they created Java, which everyone's heard of. Yeah. It's a programming language for writing software. Um. And they created these things that are called application programming interfaces or APIs. Mm-hmm. Um, just for the sake of the discussion here, they're like little pre-written chunks of code. So yeah. if you're a programmer and you're writing, you can, and there's really common stuff that you do over and over, you can use these APIs that do that. So yeah. it's a lot more complicated than that, as you can probably imagine. But yeah, 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 yeah. for this purposes, that's fine. There's a certain so, repetitive nature to coding. Yeah, and instead lend- of yeah, writing yeah, yeah. from scratch, you can just use the same, use the APIs. Understood. So... When Google created Android, they they copied elements of the Java APIs. They okay. cut the, basically the title. It's um it's called the declaring code of thirty seven of um Oracle's APIs for Java. The idea being, you needed to use the names so that people sort of had like a rough outline yeah, of how to write yeah, yeah. in in Android. Um, 
but they so they rewrote everything else about the API, but they they copied like eleven thousand lines of code, which represented these like titles of thirty seven of these APIs. So, so Oracle was none too pleased. Correct, about as you're this. guessing, Oracle filed a lawsuit about this. Right, and, and and I mean, I'm just this seems like such a. I mean, I know it's like a big industry and things yeah. like that, but it does seem like an interesting area specifically for copyright law. Well, it's weird because you think of copyright, you think of movies, you think sure. of music. You Front think facing of, and right, things. Exactly. Yeah. So that was sort of the whole issue for a long time in this case. People in the software industry said these, this, these elements of the API are not supposed to be governed by copyright. Copyright lasts 100 years. <laughs> exactly. Not, yeah. the, and that these are these sort of really functional little chunks of like building blocks of code that that shouldn't be subject to to copyright that it would be this really disruptive thing if mm. Oracle started claiming that they were. Yeah. So a trial judge agreed, a trial judge tossed the case out said, you know, that you can't have copyrights to this. But in 2014 in a pretty controversial ruling, the Federal Circuit um, issued a ruling that said no, Oracle is entitled to copyright. So that sort of set us on the trajectory toward toward today. So how did we get back into court again? What, right. what happened now? So they sent it back to a to a San Francisco federal court and said, you need to figure out, even if even if this is copyrighted, you need to figure out if whether or not Google was protected by the fair use doctrine when mm-hmm. they when they use this. That you know it's it's what allows for for you to use a, a quote of a of a bigger piece when you're writing criticism. It allows for the Daily Show to use little clips of Fox News. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's it's that kind of thing. It's a safety valve for copyright. This is so, how I got away with my Al Pacino impression. There you no, go. I, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a jury again sided with with Google. Said this is fair use. You right. You only took a little piece of this. You did it for the purpose for what I said before for the you know so everyone sort of got their way around it. That's fair use. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We went back to the Federal Circuit. <laughs> the Federal Circuit once again on Tuesday. Sided with Google or wow. sided with Oracle. Yeah. So they said no. Um, the, the jury got everything wrong. They went back and they they reviewed it de novo and they dug into everything and they. Okay, this is crazy. I just want to point out that on the podcast you talked recently about the blurred La- line verdict last week. I think right verdict. Yeah. yeah. And and in blurred lines, the whole thing was the, that they didn't do. They, they didn't said, go far like, enough. Well, the yeah. whole thing too was that the the judge said, "Well, we can't." go back and look at what the jury decided. Right, right. And yeah. this is the exact opposite this of that. This is the exact opposite. And they wrote this big, long thing about how, like, like everything else in this case, this is really complicated, but we're allowed to go and dig through everything that the jury did, hmm. overturn yeah. it and everything else. So the power quote, there's nothing fair about taking a copyrighted work verbatim and using it for the same purpose and function as the original in a competing platform. End quote. I so mean, that's they laid it out pretty starkly. There's there. a lot of really dry, interesting from my perspective, fair use stuff here. We right. won't get into that. But the big, the big picture stuff yeah. here is that, like I said up top, it puts Google back on the hook for billions of dollars in damages. That so, but going into the last trial, Oracle said if we win the fair use argument, which they ultimately didn't, we are going to ask for 8.8 billion dollars in damages. Right. Nice. That seems big. The Federal Circuit in this recent ruling cited some number. It must have come from the parties, but it was forty-three billion is how much money <laughs> Google has made off of Android. Oh, so I see. Yeah, right. It, it, like, the, the, however they start figuring this out, the, I mean, there will be a whole trial over this back at the district court. Of course, yeah. It's going to be huge for Google. It's it's a they need to get this. They need to get this overturned. So they're probably going to file an appeal to the Federal Circuit asking for en banc review um, yeah. and almost certainly take it to the Supreme Court. Well, we'll clearly be covering that. Well, you will, Bill. You'll yeah. clearly yeah, we, be covering I, that. Please yeah. check yourself. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but also, can we just 
end on some of the bigger picture stakes here? Because this is about, like you said, it's these little building blocks of a lot of technology. So yes. what does this mean? So it's, it, and it depends, like everything with copyright, it depends on who you ask. But a lot of people think that this will be really disruptive, that people have been sort of in a holding pattern while this case is going, but that this really is a very different approach to copyright law in the context of software than people had ever thought it worked. That that no one thought that these little chunks of, of code were were copyrighted and people shared them and and built on them and it was yeah. it allowed for interoperability between as the different... industry has exploded exactly I mean, yeah. so um you know it remains to be seen whether that parade of horribles will happen but it's 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 definitely something that a big group of folks in this world are really really scared about so moving from the uh, tech industry to our favorite, the legal industry, there's um, a bit of tough love uh, out of the Eastern District of Texas uh, last week um, where a judge there um, basically held two associate attorneys in contempt for bringing this very kind of dubious labor suit, even though the senior partners who were handling the case told the judge uh, you know, these younger attorneys, you know, take it easy on them. It was on us. The judge wasn't having that and also sanctioned the younger associates. Very interesting case Ugh, going on. Now yikes. I mean, that has me a little scared and I don't even practice law anymore. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you tell us what exactly happened here? Very quickly. It all began back in uh, November of 2016. Uh, this Texas judge, his name is Amos Mazant. Uh, he blocked this uh, U.S. Department of Labor rule from taking effect, and it would have expanded overtime eligibility. It would have made more people eligible for overtime pay. So he blocked that. He said he issued an injunction and said this rule cannot take effect. A few months later, um, a couple of firms tried to file a class action against uh, Chipotle, of all places, um, uh, for overtime wages, saying uh -huh. the company wasn't paying overtime. And they cited this rule that the judge had already invalidated. And so you can see already how that creates kind of an interesting, uh, you know, kind of dynamic going on. Yeah, sure. And Chipotle immediately kind of sounded the alarm and said, hey, you know, you already struck this rule down. They can't sue us over this rule. And they began this back and forth. And, uh, you know, they said, you know, they're they're trying to file this suit in open defiance of your order and said and, and, and asked for these attorneys to be held in contempt. And uh, the judge uh, was convinced and uh, held those attorneys in contempt uh, last week. But you mentioned up top that it wasn't just the decision makers here who were held in contempt, that it was the, 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 the younger folks as well, right? Yes. So the judge sanctioned three partners from two different firms. Those firms are... Um, Outen and Golden and Cohen Milstein Sellers and Toll. Those are Texas firms. Um, but also, along with those three partners, sanctioned two eighth-year associates. Their names are Miriam Nemeth and Melissa Stewart um, for you know, they, they had signed on to filing this complaint. But, but the partners, the partners had sort of gone to bat, right? It, exactly. The partners had, had lobbied very hard. You know, they said all the things that you would expect to say. It's like, oh, they're they're just going along. Like, we are their bosses. They're going along right. with what we said. Don't, you know, throw them under the bus like this. Don't put a black mark on their yeah. careers. And, I mean, I have friends who, who are associates at law firms, and, and this happens, that you get told to go do something and you do it. I That's mean, I think even if you're not at a law firm, everybody identifies with the idea that, like, your boss tells you something and you right. do you're going to go a certain way, and right. you usually are like, okay. Without exactly. a doubt. And that is, those are all points that are very well made. The judge was not having it. This is the, <laughs> this is the, this is a very scary 
scathing quote from uh, uh, from the judge. Oh, also, it, it should range that, uh, like I said, that the two associates were in their eighth year of working. Uh, the more senior partners worked as much as, as 35 years. So okay. wi- wide range of experience here sets it up for the quote. Anyway, here's the quote. Uh, After three years of law school and eight to 35 years of practice, a lawyer should know that signing his or her name to a document has consequences. Given their experience, avidity, and ownership of this case, it is difficult to accept that these seasoned professionals simply followed orders. Which is... Guys, I have so many feelings about this. I mean, I get what the judge is saying. It's fair. When you sign legal documents as counsel, you have to take ownership of, of what you're doing there. That seems reasonable, but... It's such a hard position for these people. Well, but how far would you take that position, right? If you like, eventually, in in terms of sort of wrongdoing, you have to you have to. If you're a lawyer, you're signing your your name to the bottom well, of it. Well, I mean, can we just talk about some of these consequences a little bit? Um, I mean, Alex, maybe you have some things to say about this, but it seems to me that you're essentially saying to these young associates, either go along with what your boss says and potentially get censured by the court yeah. or speak up and maybe get fired. Yeah, I mean, and um, our our Texas court reporter, Jess Crotchtangle, wrote a great feature um, that everybody should go read if you're even a little bit interested in this. And it lays out a lot of these dynamics that we're talking about. And she talked to some lawyers. Um, you know, it's always difficult to know, you know, how common is this or how often right. does this exact thing, you know, emerge. And but she she talked to a lot of people who said, you know, it is pretty common for, you know, for young attorneys who are trying to just, you know, be good soldiers and go along with whatever kind of litigation sure. strategy your your boss is advancing. And, you know, you, like, like you said, Amber, you do that at your own peril. You I can mean, get, I maybe yeah. like painted the worst case scenario that you get fired, but there's other stuff. To that, do, well, right? that's true. I mean, yes, like you might get fired if you don't do what your boss tells you. Certainly a risk in any profession, but even so, you know, in a in a in a in, in a legal context, if you're if you're in big law, you know, it could create a a more subtle thing where it's like, oh, this person was like, like ca- was causing trouble. Right. They're not a they're not a team player. A squeaky wheel. They're difficult sure. and things like that. Um, al- although to be fair, she also talked to somebody. Um, I forget the attorney's name right now. Um, she did say uh, some person who was now a partner said he came across something like this early in his career and sent a memo to the partner saying, I don't feel comfortable signing stuff like this. Um, and they actually commended him for that. And he actually told Jess that he thought that was attributable to his, uh, you know, assent to partnership. So mm. you got to read the tea leaves a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to make your own decisions about, um, you know, what uh, what you think your bosses might or might not, might not do. But from a professional standpoint, if we're taking the big picture here. I don't think the judge left any room for ambiguity. Right. The idea is like if you are if you make your own personal choice whether you want to defy your bosses or not. If you make the personal choice to sign a document, you should be prepared right. to face the consequences. That's um, it. If it's in if it's in any kind of legal question, you know, you put your pen to paper, you got to see what happens. powerhouse Munger Tolls got itself into hot water this week when word leaked that it was forcing summer associates to sign away their rights to sue for sexual harassment or gender bias. It's a tactic that critics said mirrored those used by Harvey Weinstein and others who've been accused of sexual misconduct in recent months. Facing a backlash, the firm immediately backtracked. But what about other big firms? Are they using agreements like this and will they follow Munger's lead? 
Here to discuss is Natalie Rodriguez, senior reporter. Welcome, Natalie. Hi, thanks for having me. And multiple time guest. That's right. Welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me again. <laughs> so let's talk about what happened here with um, Munger Tolls. Can you tell us um, how word got out that they had these agreements in the first place? Sure. So late Saturday night, uh, Ian Samuels, who's a lecturer at Harvard, started tweeting out snippets of the summer associate agreement that mm-hmm. he had I guess, got a hold of from someone who had been asked to sign one of these. And he just started tweeting out snippets that obviously showed that there's forced arbitration provisions um, on Title VII claims, which would be sexual harassment claims. And this took off pretty quick, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I saw it I on Saturday it pop up on night. Twitter, yeah. I was at a wedding that night. Oh, wow. I looked in again on Sunday and it had just gotten crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's Twitter for you. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, everyone, it looked like everyone was kind of getting into the conversation. Robbie Kaplan of Windsor uh, versus U.S. fame, uh, you know, tweeted that, she the, the, her firm doesn't require these agreements and she tweeted with the hashtag times up mm-hmm. there were several law school students who were tweeting at harvard dean of students at the yale um accounts and, and at others you know petitioning law schools to not let firms who require these arbitration agreements to recruit on campus um and it just seemed like you know all of legal twitter as we would call <laughs> yeah, it right. was kind of getting into conversation about are these con- Common. Well, this is just standard, and no, right. this is crazy. Yeah, but, and and just because it's like standard, then people are getting like, well, it may well be standard, but is that okay for right. it to? And yeah. that's a whole other thing. And two, um, it seemed like it moved very quickly. I mean, you you said this happened on Saturday, and Munger acted pretty quickly, right? Yeah, I mean, what very what, quickly. What did they do? By Sunday, they had kind of backtracked. They said basically, you know, we were wrong. We're gonna fix it. <laughs> yeah, they owned up pretty. They owned they didn't, up pretty. You know, they didn't sort of skirt around it. Right? Yeah, and they said not only just the summer associates, but they wouldn't be requiring this of any employees. Right. And that's pretty remarkable. I mean, these are generally, I mean, they're, these are, you know, risk averse type type of, you know, big, like corporate minded, you know, titans of industry that like don't really like, you know, back down too much from their principles. So we've kind of set the scene here about um, what exactly happened in the timeline. But can we just Explain to people why these are such a big deal. Why did people freak out on Twitter when they realized these were enforced in in place? So the short answer is me too. Um, You know, I spoke to several experts and I I think the consensus is that had the me too conversation not happened over the last six months, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And so like in the context of that, let's imagine you're a person at a firm who is harassed. What exactly would this arbitration agreement mean? So are so these forced arbitration agreements is so there's a difference between, you know, being offered arbitration as an option yeah. and being forced into arbitration. Um, if you have a claim, you know, you feel sexually harassed by someone, you have to and you go through HR, you have to deal with it through arbitration. You can't, you know, go out and file a, a charge with the EOC or, or a claim in federal court. And that also keeps things a lot more silent, which people don't like. Because exactly. In court, you get to publicly present. We've talked know, about yeah, that your, in a lot of different contexts there. as well about yeah. arbitration. Clauses. Right. I think I think if this, you know, that that if a year ago before any of any of these revelations came out and something like this was out there, I don't think it I don't think we would have seen any of this kind of response yeah, to it, right? Totally. Yeah, I mean, to be very clear, these are not illegal by any means. Right, right. Um, and there's debate over to whether they're considered standard or not, and okay. that's well, a whole conversation, but Munger didn't do anything wrong by right. asking someone this. So I think that 
is a good place to sort of go to our next question, which, you know, is Munger the only firm that's using these things? It sound, sounds like from what you just said, probably not, right? So it's really hard to gauge just how prevalent these are in the industry. Um, well, know, especially, ap- especially after this, when you started asking people about it, I don't know <laughs> if they were so eager to be like, oh, of course we do this. So, yeah. so we started asking people, actually, my co- our colleague Brandon Lowry and I, we started asking the top uh, biggest, 100 biggest firms, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, if several questions regarding sexual harassment, including if they use arbitration oh, or okay. NDAs, uh, non-disclosure agreements. So only a handful even responded to us, frankly, <laughs> on the yeah. question. Right. And even of they those... They non-disclosed. Yeah. And <laughs> even of those, it was a yeah. mixed bag. You okay. know, it was some said they don't, some say they do for certain classes of, of employee. Um, and, you know, we both spoke with call, uh, with uh, experts uh, about this and, we, you know, we heard different things from, you know, it's pretty standard, this isn't crazy, everyone does this, to, well, you know, not really, you don't really see this, you know, with employees. Well, and partners are a whole different animal. And standard and, and you know, everyone does this is in, in the wake of, of the what we've seen in the last year, that's no longer a defense that, that you know, that certain things that everyone thought was sort of par exactly. for the course was not. Mm-hmm. So this feels to me a little bit like um, almost a watershed moment for Me Too in the law. Is that how you see it? Yeah. I, well, I, Allie Cole Steele, who is, uh, you know, a former Bo Schiller associate who recently co-founded the Purple Campaign, which mm-hmm. is seeking to end workplace uh, sexual harassment. You know, she said to me that she thinks, and it was a pretty strong word, she said, I think this is the closest thing to a Me Too moment that big law has had. Interesting. Not the legal industry, because obviously... There was a whole Kaczynski scandal, but for big law and law firms, mm-hmm. this right. is as close to it as we've gotten in terms of kind of an organic movement, you know, and a call to action and action. Well, and you mentioned it's a movement, so and we've seen other firms now following Munger's Munger's lead, right? Yeah. So really quickly, right off Munger Oric on Monday, you know, of their own volition came out and said you know, it's time for change and they're not going to um, require any other employees uh, to sign, have to sign these. Uh, mm-hmm. We'd been speaking with Oric for the survey that we'd done. And uh, we That's know- Oric Harrington Sutcliffe, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we know uh, they had been reviewing their policies. Um, oh, okay. And then today, Thursday, uh, Skadden just came out and they uh Put out a statement internally. Uh, it wasn't a, a public <laughs> announcement, but it okay. was a, a leaked by uh, Ian Samuel again. <laughs> uh, an internal <laughs> <He> back <laughs> at it. <laughs> he was uh, internal communication about um, that. You know, they've been reviewing their policies in light of Me Too, and they agree that there's a time for industry-wide change. So um, those are some really big firms that are reconsidering this. Yeah. Other than just the face of it being like, well this is maybe bad for PR in this current climate. Are there any other reasons that that other firms may be rethinking their policies right now? Employment uh, recruits. uh, They don't want to be the firm known for having this kind of provision if high-level, you know, uh, other partners or attorneys or, you know, promising young associates are going to go to other firms where they don't have to. Well, and that's wrapped up right in the in the the idea of 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 PR. Like it's they're, they're not two different things at this point. Sure. But it seems like it seems <laughs> yeah. like if, if you if you're the firm that that's wearing this scarlet letter of having these kind of things, you're not going to get the best people. I mean, that that seems like when Munger really acted right when when the idea that you couldn't get onto Harvard campus to to <laughs> yeah, talk to those law students, to like, them out. Yeah. right, exactly. So it. it 
And I think you had a you had a line in your in your story where you, you said like it's a business decision. It but, is right. Yeah, Mark Cohen, who is now an legal industry consultant, but who was once a managing partner. You know, he yeah. he was talking to me, and he's like, if I was a managing partner today, and I had one of these provisions, I wouldn't be you know, advertising it, it's it's not going to be helpful to, to a firm looking to, to hire, you know, good recruits. Um, and he said, it's a business decision. You have to, at the end of the day, decide whether it's worth having that arbitration provision. Guys, on this podcast, we've talked so many times about stories of sexual harassment yeah. that have been so sad to talk about. Natalie, thank you for finally bringing one where the tide <laughs> seems to be going the direction we all wanted to. Yeah, Need yeah. to taking some traction in the legal world. Well, thank you for having me. Guys, for our offbeat today, I want to take us back a little bit with some music that makes me feel nostalgic. You know I love talking about that. Yeah, I mean, show. this has become a staple of the offbeats. Yeah, it's yeah, one of my yeah. favorite things to bring up. So I want to talk about an ex-drummer for the band The Offspring. Okay. Yes. Do you guys remember that band? I do, and I sure. and I do want to point out in the in the sh- in the notes that we prepare to do the show. I Amber, you you're doing this part of the segment. Yep. but You noted that like the seminal album for you is 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 what. It's Smash. It's the one from 1994. See, that's like, you're not that much older than me and Bill, but that is like such a stark, like we are. It like, is. It's, wow. it's I mean, that turning point, guys. For, well, for okay, okay. well, then I speak only for myself. For me, it was purely Americana in 98. Like, sure. Uh, I didn't even like that one because yeah, well, Smash was the one. But like, Smash came out in like the Green Day wave. That's of, true. Like, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. that stuff. I had that album. It's the one that had um, Come Out and Play and Self Esteem. Oh, yeah. There are great songs. tracks on it. Anyway, what's there's more important stuff to talk yeah, about. So, <laughs> yes. um, so I guess. We should get into why we're talking about the offspring drummer on a mm-hmm. legal podcast. Yes, yes. So he had um, a pretty big day in court. He His name is James Lilia. And after he was the drummer for the offspring, which, to be clear, he was the drummer for them in the late 80s. Not, oh, even, okay. not even the albums we're talking about. Um, but he moved on to become a doctor. Okay. So real second life he's there. A, he's a doctor. Yeah. So um, he heeded the advice of Nah, Nah. Why don't you get a job? Yeah. <laughs> he he did get a job. Got a pretty good job. And then he got sued. <laughs> oh so well. Okay. He was accused of um, negligently treating a patient. Okay. So on the first day of this medical malpractice trial, jury selection's happening. They have the whole jury pool, and during a break, a prospective juror who's waiting to be called back into the courtroom collapses, hits his head, and he loses consciousness. So it's one of those moments where somebody rushes into the courtroom and is like, oh, you're a doctor. Come save this. Is there a doctor? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And he was like, it so happens. It so happens there is a doctor. So he turns out it's the defendant. (laughs) And also in a stroke of of luck here, um, his nurse that was also part of the suit was also there. So a doctor and a nurse rush out. This feels like a curb episode where like Larry David's choking on something and the, and the, the the only doctor there is someone uh, accused of medical malpractice. (laughs) He like like, declines. Yeah, right. right. It it has that vibe. But here's what happened with this one. So he rushes out with the nurse. They give CPR to this man. They um, use one of those defibrillators that are at all like public Mm -hmm. buildings and they revive him and, and keep him okay until paramedics arrive. Did this happen in front of the rest of the jurors? Yeah, a lot of people saw this, guys. Um, So, yeah. I would imagine it contaminates the entire jury pool. Well, you're you're right there because it seems (laughs) on the face of it like kind of one of those like, oh, what a what an unusual thing to happen. What a good news story that he like helped this guy. But it wasn't so great for Lilia because um, the plaintiff's attorney immediately asked for a mistrial, said that it, of course, tainted the 
potential juror pool. So. Which, <laughs> if you stop and you think about it, he's probably right. I mean, it's a medical malpractice trial, and you watched the guy just keep someone alive. Save, save someone's so, life. He administered yeah, medical care fair. in front of everyone. That right. Pretty, right. And was pretty great at it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's anecdotal, but uh, but this one time, he <laughs> was batting a thousand. Hard, pretty hard darn good, go. as far right. as we know. So basically, the judge said that. He said, you know, it's yeah. an extraordinary situation. He commended the Would have loved Lilia. to have been in the room when they, listen- Gang, a lot of stuff's been going on here. Uh, <laughs> we're going to start over. It's <laughs> been a big day. Yeah, so he yeah. basically commended Lilia for, for saving this person, um, for helping them in this moment. We, um, just full disclosure, we don't know what happened to this patient once he left the courthouse. Mm-hmm. So yeah. our reporter, Dorothy Atkins, um, didn't have an update on that. But, but this, I saw Dorothy tweeting about this, when, or, or I saw her story come up, and it was like, it felt like a Mad Libs thing. Yeah. Where it was it like does. former offspring drummer, uh, who is now a doctor and is accused of medical, medical malpractice yes. yeah. saves person's life causing mistrial. Um, what? Yeah, a lot of I saw a lot of people tweet, tweet this, including some people here in our own newsroom with like Stefan from SNL. Yeah, like, yes, it yes, has good point. everything. Yeah, nice. um, yeah. So there, a mistrial was declared here, and they have to start jury selection all over. But they're starting it soon on April second. We're, we're almost out of time, but uh, I but I will say. Next time, uh, I will tell you guys about the time I got the Heimlich maneuver from uh, Wes Borland from Limp Bizkit. <laughs> was it a uh, was it a hot dog from the hot dog hot dog oh, water? No. <laughs> That'll wrap us up for today. Thanks for being with me, Alex. Thank you. And Bill. See you again next week, guys. We'd also like to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano, Stephen Trader, and Danielle Nicole-Smith, our guests, Natalie Rodriguez, and contributing reporters, Dorothy Atkins and Jess Crotchangle. Music for the show this week comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. If you liked anything you heard today, please leave us a review on iTunes and check out our website for more information. It's law360.com slash podcast. Thanks and join us again next week. I thought of another good one, but I'm not. We're not going to go back and do it. It's like, it's like <laughs> well, I thought. I it? thought juries were like sort of cordoned off from the defendant because you got to keep them separated. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>